Love Me Do was a good song, but not a great song. It was a it had a good sort of um, musical uh, tag, and um, the lyrics weren't exactly earth shattering. Um, but it was a fairly simple song, and of course it suited their style in those early days, which was a simple but very effective rock and an individual sound. And the key to it also was uh, John's blues harmonica on it. And Love Me Do, of course, was always performed by John, or even though it was a Paul song. And later on, of course, that changed because they tended only to record their, or only to sing their own song. So if Lennon wrote a song, he tended to sing it. But in, in those early days, um, John was singing Paul's song, but I changed it, not because, um, not because it was Paul's song, but because I wanted the harmonica to flow in and overlap the voice. And suddenly, uh, John found himself without a song. Uh, I took it away from him. He wasn't, wasn't very happy about that. I made Paul sing it instead. So that's the way it ended up. Welcome this week's When They Was Fab. I'm Ed Chan. And I'm Martin Quibell. And you will get a little bit of Lonnie Pena here and there because uh, we did record some extra thoughts on the Red Album back when we did the Mexico City show, and those will be inserted here if you're wondering why Lonnie Pena is just sort of dropping in and out. That's because he's too cool for school. Either that or the fact that he is in Los Angeles house-sitting for his daughter who is taking a... Short trip to Korea, believe it or not. Wow. Hopefully she's not looking for a career in Korea. She is a K-pop fan, so she she's visiting some folks and taking the opportunity to go and see some prime K-pop in its home. These kids. We still got to say thanks to these kids. They were listening to Now and Then. It has dropped off the American charts, but it did make it all the way up to number seven, and it's slowly making its way down the British charts, but again, not so shabby for a 50-year-old band. More than 50, 60-year band. We're also getting word that Red and Blue are making their own appearances on the Billboard and the British album charts. Not just Red and Blue, but the Red and Blue collections. So in the top 20 on the Billboard album chart, we have 62 to 66, 67 to 70, and 62 to 70. Wow, that's quite something, that is. 
62 to 66 is at number 20. It is at number six on the top rock and alternative albums. It is at number four on top rock albums. It is at number three in catalog albums. It is at number 17 in vinyl albums. And it is at number five in something they call Tastemaker albums. Tastemaker? I've never heard of that before. Well, I mean, you know, there's so many different charts these days. 62 to 70 is at number 15 on the Billboard 200. Number three on top rock and alternative albums. Number three on top rock albums. Number two on catalog albums. Number 11 on vinyl. And number four on Tastemaker, that same chart. And then the 62 to 1970, which is really just the two sets of three LPs or two CDs shoved into a nice slipcover case with a thin book, is at number 13 in the vinyl albums, number 15 in the Tastemaker charts, and number 17 in top current album sales. So Not too shabby at all, no. That is what's going on, and we are going to start our discussion on 62 to 66 after we get through a little bit of the news here. Okay. Ringo has just announced his upcoming tour for late spring, early summer. We got a little preview of that. Uh, If you listen to the Mexico City show, they announced that Ringo was coming to Mexico City next summer. Now it's official. He is doing six shows in Vegas at the Venetian. It's a mini residency, the 22nd, the 25th, the 26th, the 29th, the 31st, and June 1st. And then he is going to play Mexico City at Auditorio Nacional, I promise that's the last Spanish you're going to get from me for a little while on June 5th and 6th. Wow. Y- you and your bilingual. Brilliant. Trilingual, if you listen to the last toppermost, because, well, I gave you a little German there, too. Das war, das war, no, don't go there, Martin. So that is eight of the 12 shows. He has not announced the other four shows. Since he's doing Southwest, a Texas show is likely. That'd be great. In your stomping ground, nearly. He hasn't been here since 2017, so so by next year it will be seven years. It's at least a pretty decent chance he'll be coming this way for one of those four shows. Something else that's wonderful to spend your money on. And there is a rumor going around. U2's residency at the Sphere is going to end like in February. I've heard that as well, and the rumor is that Paul's taking over. Is it to replace you two? You know, they want a real big name, and the two acts they've apparently tried or are trying to get for the residency is Beyonce, and that's not going to happen. I'm sorry, Beyonce is too big for the sphere. You know, she may do one show or two shows at the sphere, she's not going to do a residency. No. Just like if they approached Taylor Swift, Taylor Swift would not do a residency of the Sphere. One show, two shows, okay, that's cool. But Paul, I could see it. I could see him possibly doing a mini residency, yeah. If they could find, like, a slightly lesser act, you know, I could see him going for two months doing two shows a week. Yeah, and you'd probably throw in the occasional new song that you've never heard before that he's working on. Maybe do a weekend show, and then during the week, either do a midweek show or a Tuesday or a Thursday show. So, you know, maybe two, maybe three shows in any given week without having to deal with the travel. The other thing is, U2 has not been doing soundcheck shows 
at the sphere. So, you know, that would cut off some of the saying that Paul has to do every day because obviously he wouldn't have to sound check the building every night. No, that's true. You probably lose a little bit of cash, but being in a regular residency and not having to move all of the facilities around would make up for that loss in cash, I would bet. Absolutely. Assuming that works out, Paul would be doing a two to three month residency and Ringo's doing a six show residency. Dare we hope? Dare we hope? If Paul is at the Sear in May, at the end of May, when Ringo's there, that would be too tempting for both us and for them to not do at least one or two crossovers during that time, do you think? Yeah, if they had like Paul and Ringo share the residency, so Ringo could do two shows a week, Paul do two shows a week, and every now and again one of them get on stage with the other. The Venetian is a tiny stage. It's a three to five thousand seater, whereas the Sphere is this whole big stage. It'd be nice if Amish could get on stage with Paul and they could do a My Brave Face live. That would be really cool, and we'll see, but it looks like the stars are at least slightly aligning that it will become possible. Now, whether it happens or not, we cannot say. We can always dream. Also, something that I saw during Thanksgiving, there was a really nice photograph posted up where Sean and Julian were together for for a Thanksgiving. Oh, is that the photo where we had Sean carving the turkey? Yes, but they were both there together. Julian was visiting, and that was nice to see. They're clearly working together. Lonnie had mentioned that there was some press buzz that they might actually be recording together, if not now, sometime in the nearest future. So, you know, maybe they're writing, maybe they're thinking about doing something. I think Sean's hinted at it over the years that he'd like to work with Julian, and Julian said much the same as well, because they both have real respect for each other's talents. Even if they're not working together musically, it's good to see them together. It is. I've always liked their relationship that they've got together. The whole, what they call the extended Beatles family. We've seen Sean and Danny together. We've seen Danny and the various McCartney kids together. So, you know, cool. Even Sean with Stella and Mary, you see them hanging around. And then there was the whole thing when Get Back came out. Uh, Yeah, when they were all there. Various combinations of them were the London premiere and then the Los Angeles premiere. Absolutely, yeah. So on to the Red Album. Here is where we're going to start a little bit of Lonnie Pena, where we talked about they're making some additions. Do they necessarily make all the right additions? My main complaint still is we've only got one Beatles for Sale track. I can't believe that when you've got so many good songs on there. I'm a Loser, that's a great song to put on there. And I would have liked to have heard the... We will find that on this remix harmonica sounds amazing on on the old the remixes and the harmonica would have sounded nice on i'm a loser they really should put rock and roll music back in here oh maybe they're holding that for a rock and roll music remix (laughs) 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 u.s the giles special 70s edition (laughs) yeah some of that was actually remixed you know for the yeah i know for that album in 76 it's the rock and roll music special remix edition remixed to sound like the 1970s the 76 (laughs) all right so the new songs on the red album saw her standing there no issue with that. Great. Great song. Great mix. I love all of these mixes, by the way. Twist and Shout, again, 
classic. I don't know why it wasn't on there the first time, although they were avoiding covers the first time around. Yeah, apparently so. This boy, just an iconic early Beatles song. Excellent mix. Roll over Beethoven, so that gives us a little bit more George. It's hard to believe that there was no George on the original Red album. Right. Roll over Beethoven is a good choice. Really got a hold on me with the Beatles, Smokey. It's really nice to get some of their Motown stuff. This is maybe the first one that, while it's a great song and I love it, this is one that I might have switched out for you know rock and roll music or something. Yeah, definitely. It's not that I don't like it, and I'm really glad to see them include something from the Motown catalog, but yeah, I just would have liked another Beatles for Sale song on here. The other one that I really would have liked to see is Words of Love. Oh, yeah. This boy and Words of Love together is a twofer. That would be know. nice. We can still do your playlist. Do your own playlist. And while we'll still have to wait probably a couple of years for the Beatles for Sale remix, I'm sure we're going to get one. For sure. Then you can't do that. That's another one that I might have replaced with a song off of Beatles for Sale. All these remixes are really good. They finally balanced the drums, you know, and the bass and, and everything's a good balance. Yeah, the Mal technology is really pretty amazing peter jackson is on the things we said today podcast and he goes through a little bit of a day tripper and, and how exactly he separates things with the mal technology the second vocal track is it's either george or paul i can't make up my mind um <laughs> Um, because there's three, there's three, so this is there's another one. So um, th- this is another, and th- I know that three of them, three of the Beatles come in on the day tripper part. There's a three, it's a three part harmony, but um, there's two for a little bit of time here, and then the third one. But this is um, this is the, this is B, and and see if you can figure out which one this is. Sounds like Paul one moment, and then George another moment. We're taking the easy way out. My my I'd I'd vote George if I on that one if I had to. If I was forced to, which I'm not, but um, anyway. Then we get, if I needed someone, so we get more George, and we're into the the original Red album was so light on Revolver, so they've added back a bunch of Revolver tracks. They're not new mixes. These are the only previously released mixes on the Red album. These are the ones which came out in the Revolver box, but yeah, okay, great. I'm glad they added back some songs to balance this out. Uh, got to get into my life. I'm only sleeping, Taxman. Here, there, and everywhere, and Tomorrow Never Knows, which is a great way to end the Red Album. It really is. That's much better than how it ended before, and I'm glad we got half of uh, Rubber Soul, if not the whole thing. We'll get the whole thing next year. I think we're, we're pretty certain of that. Yeah, but no Beatles for sale. I'm still curious whether they're going to do what Giles had said and whether they're going to do it too for whether they're just going to go back and just just in quotes give us a rubber soul next year i think we seem to be running into a position of beetle heavy years and beetle light years this was kind of a beetle light year and i think next year you know we've already got mind games announced i gotta believe that mccartney's going to finally put out uh, london town and back to the egg i also kind of think there's gonna be something out of the harrison camp next year oh what do you think? Actually, if I had to guess, there might be something audio, video, or both off the Dark Horse tour. 
Okay. Yeah. They have to clean that up a lot, though, from a quality performance standpoint. There's also rumors that Peter Jackson is working on that. Because, I mean, there's more footage from that tour than we ever knew existed. Well, we'll see. I guess the other thing we got to say is we are going to get Beatles for sale in the next couple of years. That may have been part of their thinking, although they are not hesitating to give us half or a little bit more than half a rubber sole. And we are in all likelihood getting rubber sole, if not rubber sole and help next year in a deluxe edition. Well, they've already worked up the majority of the material for both of them as it is. Oh, the other thing that I wanted to mention, which actually is related to this over on the things we said today podcast, our friend from talk more talk, Ken Michaels, they actually got Peter Jackson back and Peter Jackson talked with them for, Oh, roughly three hours, maybe a little bit more. And one of the little tidbits that came out of that is that Peter Jackson has purchased the original star club tape. Wow. I'd heard something about that as well. I've not listened to the episode yet because it's a long episode. Apple has not sanctioned this as an official project, but Peter Jackson really, really wanted to work on it. And, and one of the things, you know, as we go through the red, a lot of this stuff for Peter Jackson, he's not doing it just because he loves the Beatles, but he wants a real world test for the mal technology. I think that's a great idea. They've trained it on a bunch of stuff, but you don't really know how good it's going to work until you try it out on things that are progressively more difficult. Is Peter Jackson now a paid part of Apple, do you think? I would bet that they probably pay him a little retainer, and he may have, like, right of first refusal on some things. It's just that all these projects he seems to be doing, it just seems like he would be, you know, because he's doing these things and... Yeah, I would have thought that the Beatles would be saying to him, well, we'll give you this money and uh, keep doing what you're doing and then whatever you work on, we'll check it out and we'll say yay or nay to it. Well, I mean, that's kind of what he says. Apple certainly originates its own project and I'm sure while it is not going to be proprietary to Apple anymore, they are going to work with Peter on the rest of the demixes because we do have all the way back to Please Please Me to finish here these sets the blue and the red show what the red definitely shows how this technology is going to be really useful as to the star club tapes peter jackson went to apple and said well what's the deal with the star club tapes and apple came back to him oh well we're the only ones who have the right to release it yeah but where's the tape we don't have the tape So Peter Jackson put his own folks on it, and they they tracked it down to a fella in Florida who is getting up there in years, and he could not put it out in any shape or form because Apple has the copyright on it, and Apple has the release rights on it. So Peter Jackson made an offer on it and bought the tape. He made an offer that he couldn't refuse. Maybe not quite that bad, but it's certainly uh, an offer better than any other one he might get since he doesn't have any kind of copyright on it. That's right. No horses were harmed in this deal. In things we said today, Peter Jackson acknowledges that he has received the tape, that it is not in the best of shape, that there's some mold growing on the tape, which is unfortunate, but that he has people who are very good at restoring that sort of thing. Yeah. Could that be sorted out by baking it? 
that would be one of the first steps, yes. They would probably have to bake it, and they would probably have to play a little bit with the oxide, I would guess. Yeah. Baking it would get rid of a fair bit of the mold, and that would also adhere the oxide back to the backing, but there still may be issues, and that's what they're working on. He still does not have a top-notch digital copy of it, but that's what's next. He'll probably have it on the back burner while he's having to work on these other things, maybe. Apple's word to him was, you want to work on this for fun? You want to work on this to try and make something better? Great. Bring it to us when you're done. And we will consider it. I'm crossing my fingers for that. The bootleg versions, particularly the Lord Wreath versions, are getting pretty good. They're not quite as good as they can be, and... I think the Mal technology, particularly some of the things he hinted at, he's going to be able to bring up not only de-echo and remix, he's going to be able to bring up some of the lost parts that we really can't hear that are on the tape, but inaudible to us as listeners. The vocals should be really pretty clean, both the lead and the backing, even things like, well, as we have discovered with the Red, what Mal is really good at are not only vocals, but percussion. Absolutely. It shows that it's really good at separating different instruments that are all on the same tracks as each other. I think they'll be able to do something with it personally. And even splitting out the kit, the kick from the snare from the hi-hat. Now, this is where it gets interesting because one of the things we've developed with Mal is the ability to split Ringo's drum kit into its different components. Like he plays, you know, a drum kit and there's different drums that he plays now obviously Ringo's playing them you know as a as a set that's what he does so he never plays like I'm gonna play it to you now but um in case Giles wants to you know make the drum get a little just spread it around a little bit he's got we give him that option um I don't think this is necessarily that useful but in some respects we develop this just for our own uh use for the software anyway so um whether or not Giles chooses to use it it's up to him so Let's start, we've got the kick drum, the kick drum, and here we go, here's the kick drum. And the snare drum. There are toms. There's not many toms, but I mean Ringo does that two or three times in the song, and that's it. That's the only tom. So there's, <laughs> there's just that little um, little flurry of toms. Uh, hi hats. In the mix, Giles can obviously lift any of these up. You know, just just individually raise the volume of them without affecting anything else if he so chooses. Um, And um, finally, there's the cymbals. Again, like, like the um, toms, there's not much cymbal action in the song, but there's just a couple of hits. This is one of them um, you'll hear. You can really clearly hear the ride cymbal over to the right-hand side, and you can hear the hi-hat on the left. It's, it's a stereo field drum kit. 
Yeah, in some cases, I think Giles is a little bit too enamored with that. Because of the way Ringo plays the cymbals, you know, that cymbal wash, it's a little bit loud in some of these mixes. Yeah, in some of them. But what I will say is that every one of these mixes feels different. It feels different by device you're playing it on. I love the Atmos mix. You know, it's amazing what's there. But the playing stereo mix, some of them lose a little something. But then you go back and you play it on an Alexa speaker uh, rather than playing it with some separation where you get a discrete right, left, and everything else is kind of smudged into the center. The mixes sound better than a wider stereo field. Okay. So the stereo mixes are maybe less designed for headphones, more designed for little speakers, you know. Which, granted, is the way a lot of people listen to music these days. Yeah. The vocals, particularly John and Paul's vocals, when isolated, you can really hear the emotion that's in them. They both just sound vulnerable where they should be vulnerable and rocking where they should be rocking. It works. And it's a way that I've never heard the vocals. You know, we think about the now and then isolated vocal. It's that good. Yeah, I've singled out a lot of the vocals, like on You've Really Got a Hold on Me. Really love that close harmony by George on there that you can hear. In fact, a lot of George you can hear a lot more of rather than him being in the mix. Not from this set, but from Magical Mystery Tour on the blue set, John Stone in particular pointed out that George is playing this sort of rock and roll thing, which on all the other mixes, kind of goes in and out. But in this version, you can hear the entire part that George is playing. Yeah, the separation is great, that as well with the guitars. The other thing that John Stone had said in that Blue Show, which extends even more so to these tracks, you really feel like you're in the room with them and they're playing all around you. Yes, that's part of the cleanliness that they've done with, in a sense, where everything is so clean and... Like you said, it's like you're there in the room with them because I've even pointed out that there's certain bits where if you'd have made it more modern, which one was it? There was a song where, yeah, like I saw her standing there and there's the hand claps in there. The hand claps sound like you're stood next to them in the room. There's no reverb on them at all. It's just like you stood there with them. Yeah, which is interesting because one of the tricks that Giles did, I don't know if he applied it to every track but he certainly applied it to a fair number of them was that he actually went back into studio too and put all the stems through the amps and re-recorded them while he was doing the mix he was recombining them okay live wow you know rather than just doing a mix on the board it's like okay here's george coming out of this speaker here's john coming out of the speaker you know he was saying more than once or twice people would come by and look in the door and say, that's the Beatles playing in that room. <laughs> right. They had done similar things for Anthology, but it's very actually really pretty cool. It is. Very. So let's go into the record. The opening track is Love Me Do, which we have heard. And, you know, it's the B-side of the single. It is the Ringo version of Love Me Do, so... No tambourine there. The harmonica, particularly in the Someone to Love. Love me do. Whoa, love me do.
clear absolutely i mean i've already pointed out that the harmonica throughout this entire set is is gorgeous it really comes through nicely the hand claps and then john and paul harmonizing in stereo you gotta love that as well so with love me do the original master does not exist so they actually took two safety copies and spliced them together and that was what they sent to peter jackson right so it's, it's a okay. new transfer and that was what Mal worked with to generate this one, just as a footnote here. Yeah. So, yeah, in Please Please Me, you had distinct takes in the mono and stereo version. So Please Please Me is a mix of these two different versions, is it? The original stereo version, you occasionally have the mono mix flitting back in so you know particularly where you get that really wide almost specterish kind of echo toward the end of please please me and again in the remix that is because the mono is playing underneath it so you've wow. got you got the live version and you got the the mono recording underneath it giving you a little bit more separation than you really probably should have. And then the harmonica also comes in at the wrong place because of that. The harmonica was on the mono version only. Oh. They didn't re-record the harmonica into stereo. Okay. I don't think I've ever heard the stereo version of it before. I mean, it's not bad. It's just a minuscule of a beat, as they say. Right. But But it is just slightly, slightly off. So what Mal did was Mal pulled out the original mono bits, pulled out the harmonica, pulled out everything, and they just reconstructed the track into stereo. The drums, the guitar, and the bass are all really discreet. John sounds great. This is one of the ones where I was saying, getting a clean copy of John's vocal, it feels like nothing else. It feels significantly different from the original. I mean, they're so beautifully clear that you can distinctly hear all three of the different vocalist i really like the way in this mix that george's guitar plays off of john's vocal once again you can hear the distinct uh, difference between the guitars on this as well my one complaint about this mix is you know ringo's really hot fill there toward the end is buried a little bit in this mix yeah i don't know why that would be a giles decision i have to believe i don't understand why he's made that decision but you know we need to have giles on the show Our friends at Things We Said Today and our friends over at BC The Beatles got 15 minutes with Giles. We should get 15 minutes with Giles. Absolutely. Track number three, one of the additions, one of the big winners in this set is Sar standing there. The hand claps are much clearer, very clean. Their hands must have been very tired in these pre-copy and paste days because I remember the days of doing analog recording 
and still have to do hand claps in time throughout an entire song because I use tape at home. Even though I don't love the film, there's a scene in the Yesterday film where they're in the studio doing the hand claps and it's like, okay, that fits. I mean, there's something about the percussion and the hand claps that the Beatles do that wonderfully emphasizes what they're trying to do. So in this one, they're emphasizing that drum beat, essentially. So it's it's just... And they're always on the off. They're never like one and two and like that. There's always this really nice rhythmic thing going on where they're not on the one. They're emphasizing the two and in this. They're not trying to overtake the drums. And that's one of the things about this set. It's like, oh, thank God. Goodness, they let Pete go in 1962. Ringo is just so perfect all through this set. Absolutely. Uh, You'll hear that from uh, later on as well, where there's some really nice percussion that he does throughout. Paul's bass, another winner here. (laughs) Paul has always been maybe a little bit concerned because he still thinks that it's he copied Talking About You and well you listen to it yeah he's copying Talking About You but just hearing him play it here again remembering the fact that he has only been playing the bass for a year at this point unbelievable my one issue you know you gotta have one is that George's lead is buried ever so slightly but that was the case in the original stereo mix as well yeah Uh, do you think this is due to problems with the original guitar or do you think it's a decision of uh, giles's again again since this goes back to the original stereo mix this may have been in something to do with the twin track we're recording right and left it's unfortunate because what is there is lovely track number four and the end of the please please me album twist and shout this is one of the ones where the mono is definitely better the stereo is probably on par with this john's vocal is great as you would expect george's guitar is again slightly buried in the mix paul and george on harmonies that rocks great the solo is great yeah i love the song but it's not as distinctly different to what we've heard before other than those bits that you've that you've pointed out like all the vocals and that lead guitar otherwise it's not really much different I think if you're going to listen to one, maybe the mono one is the one to go back to and uh, listen to. (laughs) So it's funny. Once they get all these mixes done, they're going to have to sit down and decide, well, here's the best mix of this. And I'll put out a set. Here are what we think are the current best mixes of everything. Yep. Somebody needs to do that. They need to come out with a playlist. You know, this is the best mix of this version. This is the best mix of that. And then send it to us and we'll tell you what we think. Again, as we said, all of these mixes go on about a second or a second and a half longer. You do get John Lennon's cough at the very end of the song, which is always just a great topper to twist and shout. Yeah. Like, okay, <laughs> I'm done. Yeah, that was painful. <laughs> it's 
even though he would try one more take, but nope, can't do that. You can't do that. That's later. Okay, track number five. For me to you, it's a really simple recording, and so that was probably a little bit easier for them to mal together. The thing that jumped out to me with this one that, that I really loved more than anything was Paul's bass doubling what the harmonica's doing. Because it's too deep for it to be a guitar. vocals, the harmonica, the guitars, and the drums, they all just meld well, really, really well together, but they're all still distinct. Yeah, that's the bit that really jumped out at me, was that bass doubling on the harmonica that you didn't hear so well on the earlier mixes, but on this you can distinctly hear, to me, that it's bass, because the main bass line, it cuts out almost, so to me it sounds like it would be just Paul's doubling the harmonica in those sections. And this recording really feels like a performance. It's a simple recording, so it is just like you are there with them in the studio, unlike some of the songs where they've done overdubs. So you know that you're not in there with them because you know that they've added bits and this, that, and the other. So they're not doing it live. There's no live feel to this. But this, it does sound like you're there while they're doing it live. John's tone in his lead vocal, that is just so amazing here. Yeah, you can hear the John where he's, well, they're all doing it, and George does it a lot, actually, with his backing vocals, where they'll, like, cut words, essentially, and do, like, the, the shortened version of a word. So hold, as opposed to the long lengthened hold, or whatever, they'll trim the words. So it, it's very Liverpudlian in there with the way that they uh, enunciate. So, yeah, this is the first real good stereo mix of from me to you, I think. The previous one we had was one that they kind of didn't care about, which was descended from the uh, collection of Beatles oldies in 1966, and it was just sort of whipped up. And we will mention that the original Red album from 1973 was the first time we got from me to you on an American Beatles album. When did it first show up on a British Beatles album? Collection of Beatles oldies. Oh, of course. Yep. All right, there are two songs which seem to be generating some controversy among Beatles folks. On the Blue Album, it's Walrus, which we talked about a little bit with John Stone. On the Red Album, it's this one, She Loves You. And they've always had some trouble mixing She Loves You, and this one is no different. Again, I do like the separation of their vocals in this song. There are things to like about it, and there are things to dislike about it. They have definitely smoothed out all of the edits. The stereo versions, while great, have always been a little bit hacked together. There's literally a dozen edits or more, and usually it's across Ringo's cymbal wash, and you can hear it just break if you're listening to it closely. I think it's only Again in the remix. I think it's only fair. Why 
Like you said, if there's that many edits in there, it's tricky to be able to try and edit it together without there being some residue there. This is the one where I was commenting that the cymbal wash is a little bit too high in the mix, and the opening, which has always kind of been my favorite part of She Loves You, despite the fact that it's really just a simple drum exercise, is a bit low in this mix. Yeah, that was very quiet. I don't know why they didn't come in with it a bit louder. Like the original, I'm sure the original version, it was much louder in the mix. The guitars are good. John's vocal is clean, but loses ever so slightly a bit of life. This is another one where I might say go back to the mono mix. Yeah, agreed. Track number seven, I Want to Hold Your Hand, which is where we're at on Toppermost of the Poppermost if you want to join us on our other show. The Atmos mix wins, but there's a lot of really good things about this mix. Still, the cymbal wash is a bit high. John's vocals are also still obscured just the slightest little bit. Yep, but those hand claps are gorgeous. Oh yeah, I tell you something. hand claps are gorgeous Ringo's playing is just perfect uh, you know particularly the the end one you know and when I touch you I feel happy inside it's such a feeling that my love I can hide what Ringo's playing under that Oh my goodness. He knows how to swing. This version of this track is a Ringo tour de force. I love the stereo mix that he's done on the drums on this as well. Track number eight, this boy, harmonies galore, and you can hear John, Paul, and George separately in the mix, which just makes things better. the remix. 
bit that I loved as well is the sliding guitar at the end. The acoustic guitars are all really clean and I'm so glad we have them in this fashion. It's smooth and it goes down easy as they say. It does. This is one of the winter mixes I think for this boy and all My Loving, this is another one that's a winner mix for me. I like just Paul's almost bare vocal right at the beginning. You know, Close your eyes and I'll kiss you. And I love that you can hear all the separate guitars and what they're doing as well, all the interplay between them. And despite that, John's triplets are right up front, right in your face where they should be. Yeah. Again, this is another one, Ringo's drums. Wow, wow, wow. Are the three guitars in this? So you've got the triplets by John. Like that. But I can almost hear some stabs in there as well. But then you've got George doing lead guitar. So is someone doing like stabs on the guitar as well to emphasize little bits on John's triplets? From what Beatles Bible says, no. Paul's on vocals and bass. John's on backing vocals and rhythm. George is on backing vocals and lead. And Ringo's on drums. So... Okay, because it's like you've got the like that, and then occasionally alongside that you've got the unless that's just George when he's not doing like lead line, he might just be emphasizing what John's doing. None of the guitars or the bass are stepping on each other. No, they all have their place in the mix, and you can hear each of them perfectly well throughout the whole mix. The other thing is John and George's backing vocals, lovely, perfect. Close your eyes and I'll kiss you Tomorrow I'll miss you Remember I'll always be true And then while I'm away I'll ride home every day And I'll send all my loving to you It's the remix I'll pretend that I'm kissing the lips I and hope that my dreams will come true And then while I'm away I'll ride home every day And I'll send all my loving to you Track number 10, Rollover Beethoven, added to give us a bit more of George. Another one where the hand claps come to the fore, and I think they may have even ADT'd the hand claps a little bit. Yeah, I think that. And I, I noticed this, the ride symbol a lot more on this than I did a lot of the other songs as well for some reason. I don't know why. The remix. You know my temperature's rising at the jukebox for the fuse. A heartbeat rhythm and my soul keeps a singing the blues. Roll over Beethoven until she can't give the news. It's a better mix in Atmos, and it's a better mix if you're listening through a device where you get discrete left and right, and kind of everything else is 
smushed into the center. Yeah. It sounds a little bit better there, I think. It's not a bad mix. It's probably on par with the previous stereo mixes. The guitar in George's lead vocal are to the fore here, which is good. The drums feel about the same to me. George's vocal shines through this. If it was up to you, Ed, would you have picked this or would you have picked a George composition? Yeah, I would have gone with Don't Bother Me, to be honest with you. Yeah, they could have put something that George wrote on there to prove how much he was a part as a writer as well. Well, I mean, that's why you know what to do is on anthology. Yeah. Track number 11, more from Meet the Beatles. I'm sure Kit will have something to say when we talk to her about this. Uh, It's their cover of uh, You Really Got a Hold on Me, Beatles doing Smokey. It's fairly similar to the previous mix. This is another one where I think the cleaner vocal from John loses ever so slightly a bit. Yeah. Although saying that, it's nice that you can actually hear the difference between John and George, whereas before, and there was very little separation between the two when John was singing and George was singing harmony with him. This time you can actually distinctly hear George doing the harmony to John. And there is a bit more heft to all of the backing vocals, I think. I think Giles mixed them a bit more to the fore, which is a good thing, but this is a mix where... I could take it or leave it as opposed to the previous mixes. Yeah, definitely. the remix i love you madly you've really got a hold on me Uh, track number 12 can't buy me love this is one where the separation of the guitars is a real winner Yep, that's my note that I've put nice separation. That's my main note on this, actually. Paul's vocal is a bit drier. There's a bit less echo applied to it. It's more toward the center. There's a bit more emphasis on the drums, and and the guitar is a bit more to the fore. Can't buy me love. Remix. I'll give you all I've got to give if you say you love me too. I may not have a lot to give, what I got I'll give to you. I don't care too much for money, for money can buy me love, buy me love. Everybody tells me so, can buy me love. Probably slightly better than the previous stereo mix although you know your mileage may vary as they say definitely okay track number 13 you can't do that as we go into the hard days night album the biggest thing i notice is unlike our friends over on snl less cowbell seemed to be the uh, message of the day here <laughs> we lose a little bit of ringo's cowbell which had always kind of been more up front i don't think that's a good or a bad thing but it just is pulling it back 
means that you can hear the guitars a lot more, which is one of the best things about this to me. Now you can really hear the difference between George's lead and John's rhythmic stabbing of the guitar much nicer. I think it lets everything else shine through without the cowbell getting in the way. The bass in particular comes through for me. Definitely. I got something to say that might cause you pain If I catch you talking to that boy again I'm gonna let you down And leave you flat Because I told you before Oh, you can't do that It's the remix. John's lead is great. The backing vocals seem to have been a little bit differently ADT'd here. Maybe. Not bad, but just slightly different. It's a nice mix. I do like the mix a lot on this. I think this is probably a slightly better mix than what we've gotten before. I will take it over the mono. I'll take it over the mono just because reducing down the cowbell is probably a good thing. Yeah, because beforehand it sounded like they were all, accompany, all accompanying instruments for a cowbell solo song. Well, as opposed to the next song, Hard Day's Night, uh, <laughs> what is Giles wow. doing? I don't think it's bad, but this sounds like the band accompanying Ringo on the bongos. The bongos are just so far up front here. And the cowbell. You can hear that in this, which you couldn't hear that much before. And it's there. It's like, oh, we'll take a bit of cowbell away from, you can't do that, but we'll add some to a Hard Day's Night. It's been a hard And again in the 2023. It's been a hard day. And now of course the body. To the new mix. gone back and forth through the years in the different mixes some of them have more of the bongos some of them have less of the bongos this is a bongo heavy mix which doesn't make it bad but it does kind of obscure some of the other features that you'll get uh, again i will be interested to see whether they decide to readdress this when we get the actual hard day's night album when they started and I listened to it i actually kept stopping and listening to that first note that first chord constantly it feels very different it's absolutely the same performance it's not like they monkeyed with it but the components feel different now you can hear the piano chord you can hear the two guitars doing what they do you can hear the bass what paul's doing and you can hear the drum a lot clearer it's like you can tell these instruments are all there rather than it just being like a, all these instruments in essence meshed up together this you can hear the separation between all the instruments doing the separate things and it actually makes me appreciate the magic of that opening chord even more. Yeah, that's why I kept doing it. It's because I kept going, 
oh, and it, it kept making me want to go back and listen to it again to get the clarity of it. It was just, that opening was beautiful. Track 15, which actually really may be my favorite remix of the set, and I love her. I give her all my love, that's all I do. And if you saw my love, you'd love her too. I love her. Into the 2023. She gives me everything and tenderly. The kiss my lover brings, she brings to me. And I love her. The Spanish guitar, oh my, this is possibly the best thing ever. I would agree with you on that. I think this is probably my favorite as well, even down to like the beautifully reverbed vocal of Paul, you know, his lead vocal, and the reverb on the claves. Again, we're on about percussion. The claves, fascinating instrument. Perhaps one of the first that humans picked up, two sticks. Strike them. They sound beautiful. Paul's cleaned up vocal is even more breathtaking. When talking with John Stone about set two, the Fool on the Hill mix is very much improving upon perfection, and it's the same thing here. Yeah, but I will say Paul's bass is much more audible in this. I love Paul's bass. Yeah, the whole thing is just great. This alone is reason to buy this set. I'd spend all that money just for this song. It's gorgeous. Track number 16, Eight Days a Week, The Snares to the Four. I had always kind of viewed Eight Days a Week as a drum-heavy song, but now it isn't. This version is not, and I do have to admit, maybe that comes from seeing one too many Beatle bands where they always do the, you know, hold me, bum bum, love me, bum bum, just banging home on those drums. But you're know, listening to it in this version, it's like, you know, the drums are actually kind of a relatively minor piece of this song. Yeah, it's pulled the drums back to just be part of the background and let everything else shine through. And I think it works better that way. So do you think the original mix wasn't that good then? I actually really liked the version that's on OnePlus. To the 2023. Might go with the one plus mix, I think. The twenty fifteen yep. mix of eight days a week. Yeah. Hopefully they're listening and they might use that mix for the album that it comes out on. Assuming we get 
Beatles for sale in 2025, which is still a big assumption because there's also a pretty good chance that we'll get Anthology in 2025 instead for the 30th anniversary, but we'll see. I'd like an update to the Anthology, actually. They have to do Free as a Bird in Real Love with the updated Mal technology. Yep, and then they'll put them onto the Blue Album for us to have to buy them again. <laughs> It'll be on the updated anthologies, I'm sure. All right, track number 17, I Feel Fine. The first thing I noticed is that John Lennon's cough, unlike the one from Twist and Shout, disappears from the bit of feedback at the opening. Again in the 2023. And I noticed the distinctive two guitars as well that you can hear separated nicely. The drums, bass, and guitars seem slightly less discreet. They seem to be mixed together a little bit more than they had in the past. Yeah. This is a good mix. This is a fine mix. This is comparable to the mixes we've had before, I think. Yeah, I think so. On to Help. Track number 18, Ticket to Ride. Uh, we got stereo drums across the mix. Tambourine, audible, on Ticket to Ride. Ray Cooper, eat your heart out. Yes. We love Ray Cooper and his tambourine, but Ringo can do it too. Boy, can he. I love being able to hear all of the tambourines so clearly, and Ringo just playing the heck out of the tambourine. Percussion, that is something that really jumps out on these mixes, is the percussion that was buried before. She's got a ticket to ride. She's got a ticket to ride. She's got a ticket to ride, and she don't care. She said that living with Although, again, Ringo's Phil, kind of like in She Loves You, is also buried a bit in the mix. That has always been a big, loud thing to me, you know? Yeah. And here it's kind of just another part of the song. Yeah. Shame. And then the echo, particularly on the vocals, seems to have been pared back a little bit, which is a good thing. I like hearing Paul and George more clearly doing their backing bits. I do love the vocals on this, but Paul's much higher harmony. It's something that's come during this period of the Beatles a lot more, where Paul's throwing a higher harmony in than he did when they first started in recording. the early days yeah. yeah as we go to a wider stereo field you always kind of think oh you lose the guts of this a little bit and, and on some songs you do i mean we talked about twist and shout being ever so slightly less ballsy that's not the case here ticket to ride still rocks pretty hard that's an issue that i have with the blue album with revolution i think they've lost a bit of the guts of that song by the separation because it's a dirty song revolution and i just think that it misses something with the mix that they've done for the blue album as far as revolution goes it's still better than the piece of ice cream mix that george martin made that john lennon detested so much but i I tend to agree the hypothesis that john and i had was that maybe mal is not quite so good at getting the distortion correct 
Maybe. Because it is so far out of spec that you know the, the machine learning just didn't quite know what to do with some of that distortion. I mean, an easy fix to that would have been, since Giles was doing that, you know, we're supposed to be talking about the Red Album, but since Giles was doing that, with the playing it through speakers, he could have actually played the guitar through a speaker with a bit of distortion on the speaker to put that back in again. You're going to be back with me next week and we'll finish up the Red Album and we can talk a little bit more about the Blue Album there as well. Like I say, even though there's already a separate show, we, we can talk a little bit more about the Blue Album there because we're, we're not going to have quite so many songs to talk about since the Revolver mixes are not new. No. So we close out Disc One, the first CD, with Yesterday. The main thing that everybody will notice is that the string quartet has been split up that's what i love about it is that you can hear everything going on with a string quartet because before we started recording i mentioned to you there's like a counter melody with a with a viola that's that's got this beautiful like slide in between a counter melody that i just love being able to pick that out a lot easier in all these little bits of what's going on with the strings beautiful for a quartet well that is that is exactly what paul mccartney loved about it i think whenever he talks about yesterday it's like it was all not all but significantly about george martin's arrangement of the song and that the classical instruments were doing what paul wanted them to do rather than either their own thing or an arrangement that just didn't fit him or the beatles at all you can just hear paul now where he'd be going to george Oh, in this bit here, we could have a... Or, or something. Just, could you put that in? And then George would be like, oh, yeah, I'll just do that. And then you could see George writing the noting. Going, yeah, he just does that. And he can slide to there to do what you want him to do there, Paul. And it emphasizes beautifully George's gorgeous ability to arrange orchestration. Suddenly, I'm not half the man I used to be. Into the 2023. There's a shadow hanging over I mean, Paul's vocal, again, as we're saying, it is cleaned up. It sounds wonderful in the isolation, but his acoustic guitar comes much more to the fore than it has in previous versions of Yesterday. It sounds almost like the live version of Yesterday. Yes, it does. You can hear little bits of melody in the guitar that were lost in earlier mixes, it's almost like the mal-technology is almost bringing out things that weren't so obvious earlier. I said something wrong, now I long for yesterday. And again in the 2023. The last thing I want to say on yesterday, there's that little bit in the middle where it seemed to be a bit of take one either bleeding through or George Martin just kind of mixed it in. That too kind of goes to the floor where Paul is double tracking. You can hear just kind of his rough vocal come through ever so slightly. Not bad, but it's different. Yeah, I noticed that as well. I wasn't sure whether there was an issue with my stereo or something with that. I thought... No, 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 it is, it is yeah. definitely there. And it's, it's not wrong, and it doesn't feel incorrect, but it's different. It's new. Yeah. I guess ultimately that's what we're getting out of these mixes. You know, why remix it if you're going to remix it and it's going to sound the same? That's true. It does 
increase the confusion, but it also kind of standardizes things. What I had kind of said to John Stone is that the ultimate version of this is that they're just kind of going to release the stems to everything and they will, instead of selling us CDs or even downloads, it'll be, okay, here are the settings to do the 2023 uh, Mal version of the song. Here, if you use these settings, you'll get the original 1965 mix of the song. And, you know, you, what people will be buying is just sets of settings. We need that to uh, being able to make your own mix again like we used to be able to do on Paul's website for songs. Well, and, and that's what Ken Womack kind of said is uh, when he was talking about his students and teaching the Beatles class, that what all of his students want these days, they want the raw stems because they want to do DIY projects. And everybody has different sets of ears, and some mixes will be better, and some mixes will be worse. But Giles is at least a good uh, arbiter for now, I think, even if we don't agree with some of his decisions. Yeah, I, w- I wonder if this, um, this that he's done with yesterday, I wonder if that means that at some point we might get... Ooh, a alternative early version of yesterday as an extra on an eventual release of something. Yeah, I would guess that we'll get the other take in probably the help box set would be the most likely thing. The Rubber Soul help box set, I would guess that it will be in there. Hopefully next year. Hopefully. Fingers crossed. So, all right, that is disc one of the red album as we mentioned if you buy the vinyl version it won't be in this order (laughs) they have shoved all the new songs onto disc three of the vinyl version of the album so you'll have to figure out what you're listening to your own self we're not going to go through that for you oh dear they've done that (laughs) supposedly to maintain the integrity of the set the track listing on disc one and two of the vinyl versions match the original 1973 version, all the new tracks are shoved on disc three. Wow. And some people seem to believe that that is part of the reason why there was this delay. And now they are finally admitting that there really was a delay, that originally they were intending to have all this out summer sometime. Right. Okay. And then the date that we had been discussing so heavily, you know, the late September, early October date was actually their second planned release date. And that also slipped. Right. Okay. You will be back with me and we will finish up with disc two, which as mentioned, you know, it's, it's also 19 tracks, but six or seven of those are revolver tracks and we don't we'll we'll discuss them briefly but we've already talked about them go back and listen to our discussion of the revolver sde from last year if you want to hear our thoughts on those tracks absolutely and uh we've got lots more toppermost coming for you and we will be back next week with the new show well with part two of this show i guess yes absolutely looking forward to it all right thanks everybody take care Subscribe to When They Was Fab on iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher, or wherever finer podcasts are found. Please join our Facebook group, and we could be reached at When They Was Fab and on Gmail. The opening theme was written, produced, and recorded by Jay Young Kim, Beaster Famine Studios, San Francisco, California.
listening to those recordings again, I am amazed at the, the quality of them, uh, particularly the quality of the songs. And it is quite remarkable, I think, that Paul McCartney and John Lennon, and to a smaller degree George Harrison, wrote truly wonderful material that is going to be with us for centuries, I think. Uh, you know, and, uh, and they were so young, too. Um, they were in their early 20s when they wrote these great hits, and they are absolutely superb. I think, they're, I think their music's like a good wine. I think it has matured. I, I, I certainly did appreciate it at the time, because, if, as you know, when I heard the new version of Please Please Me, I actually said to them at the end of the session, gentlemen, you've got your first number one. And every time they, they brought a new song to me, when I, I put pressure on them to, to write good, good songs, um, they, they never failed to surprise me with the quality of their product. So I, I was always appreciative of what they had in the way of songs. Um, but it has matured, and looking back on it, I think the, the, the more I look at it, the more brilliant I think it is. Um, and I think even they don't quite know how they did it. Free. I tell you one thing, there's sickness going on and there's some good people doing work in hospitals, but they got no bread to do it on. Not only are they working in a miserable condition with sick people, but they're, they're scraping the barrel for funds to keep going.